Scale Well Podcast. How to use technology to scale your business. Welcome back to another episode of the Scale Well Podcast, guys. My name is Phil Bean. I'm here with Matt Gamble, my co-founder at Nudge Coach, an easy-to-use client management platform for your wellness business. And today we have a guy with a bio that's honestly too long for me to really buy it, to go all the way into. Um, as he said when we were chatting before we got on here, Google me. Um, <laughs> so if you want to learn more about Brian O'Rourke, please check him out. He's an accomplished CEO, strategic advisor, entrepreneur, investor, everything you can think of, everything you've wanted to do, he's probably done it. So he's here to help us uh, navigate the fitness and technology industries today. So thanks for being with us, Brian. I appreciate your time. Hey, Phil. Hi, Mac. How are you guys doing this afternoon in between Christmas and New Year's? Doing great. We're just, you know, taking a break from playing with all of our new toys and <laughs> very fortunate to have a chance to catch up with you. And Phil, I think you forgot Superhero. Wasn't that on the bio somewhere? Uh, I knew I missed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Shoot. Hey, well, you, you know, for, for a second, I was going to tell you, I got a toy for myself for Christmas. I bought myself one of those new Phantom drones. Have you flown one of those things? Oh, no, yeah. no. How, how is it? <laughs> Is it easy? Oh my gosh, it's incredible. I mean, you got to check it out. You haven't wrecked it yet, have you? No, I have not. All good. Okay. Max's been playing video games, so he hasn't, yeah. hasn't <laughs> gone up to the I did level. get one of those uh, Daydream <laughs> VR headsets, which I, I think there's an interesting application in the fitness world for that, and I'll be curious yeah. to see who's going to be. I don't remember seeing any uh, fitness or wellness type apps in the VR space quite yet, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. No, we'll see. But um, yeah, as Phil mentioned, Brian, really, really excited to have you here. I know you and I have had some great conversations over the past few months and you've, you've provided us just incredible feedback. But I guess for those that don't know you, if you just want to go into a little bit of kind of your background and tell your story so we can you know, better understand who you are, what drives you, how you got into the whole fitness space. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks. So uh, I've been in a number of industries and have always been an early adopter of, uh, of tech. Uh, the first uh, way I applied it was... Um, when the PC came out, and that was in the early 80s, to show you how old I am. Uh, and what, what that was is I was a finance guy and went to work for a well-known entrepreneur in the New Orleans area named Al Copeland. And when they hired me, uh, over in the corner was a brand new IBM PC collecting dust. And in a matter of very short order, using spreadsheets, I was able to do a lot of stuff that people in his executive ranks, it would take them weeks to do. I could do it in a matter of very short order. Um, and so then got a Macintosh and, and learned really how to apply technology. And then in later uh, pursuits in franchising and in other industries, we were always adopting, you know, the internet it was an early adopter of the internet and the intranets for franchise management where I ran a number of global brands in the mid nineties, uh, you know, doing a lot of things ahead of the curve. And in 97, um, my wife, uh, who's my partner and a, a financial expert herself, she uh, went to work for a very well-known uh a club operator in the New Orleans area, uh, Ron and Sandy Franco, um, and became involved in the uh, fitness operations. I helped them uh, secure funding for an additional club. And that was in 97. So it's been about 20 years. Uh, and then it kind of went from there. Um, but in all those uh, experiences, both on the supplier side and development um, and in club operations uh, around the world, um, I've always had that bent of uh, trying to be ahead of the curve when it comes to you know, what is coming, um, how does tech relate to that, and how does that impact business models? So uh, it's always kind of part of my DNA. Awesome. Yeah, the, uh, it's always interesting to hear people's stories on how they get into fitness because I know it, some people know Phil and I played college soccer together. That was kind of our introduction to the space, and we were, you know, 
both getting uh, beaten around weight rooms for years just through playing competitive soccer. But, you know, for me, I broke my femur. That kind of sparked my interest. Um, Phil, I don't think we've ever really talked about how you got into fitness. That'd be an interesting story probably at some point as well. Well, yeah. when you were training me after college, um, Matt was actually, actually switched sides to, to being the trainer instead of the trainee. Um, and I was actually rehabbing in the, in the gym where Mac was working, oddly enough. So that was part of it. Yeah. So could, you, could we say I changed your life? Is that too, maybe that's too bold to say. We can't get that. I think we could say that. We could say that. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, Brian, I, didn't, I forgot you had come from such kind of more of the finance background. So was your introduction to, I mean, had you been more interested in fitness before kind of going at it more from that side of kind of raising money or, you know, had you always been a fitness buff growing up or was that kind yeah, of I played sports, uh, you know, in the, in the restaurant industry where I was in the guys, uh, that I work with, they were all runners. Uh, you know, I belonged to clubs most of my life and I trained, um, so when I, I would run, you know, I'd run five, 10 Ks. I, I actually did bi, uh, biathlons and I'd cycle and that kind of thing. So I enjoyed that. That wasn't the, the primary driver. I mean, I'm, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, but it, you know, the thing was the business, uh, mm-hmm. business aspect of it fascinated me. I, um, you know, uh, having learned about it through the Franco's, uh, uh profit and loss uh, reviews, uh, understanding their operations and, uh, beginning to do feasibility work for other operators, we were able to apply a lot of disciplines from other industry spaces I had worked in toward health clubs using new tools. So everything from, um, you know, high-end, uh, more psychographic-oriented uh, uh, demographics to psychographic analysis of markets, for example, to uh, how to apply uh, point-of-sale, which I had been involved with point-of-sale with NCR back in the uh, in the 80s. So, uh so anyway, there are these kind of uh, disciplines from other spaces that, uh, from a business perspective, uh, lent themselves to uh, doing things a little differently in the health club space. What were some of the initial kind of eye-opening aspects of, as you started diving into the financials of these fitness businesses, what were some of the kind of key items that stuck out initially as you're starting to learn about these models? Yeah, well, you know, some of that is you come up uh, now, hindsight's twenty twenty. in retrospect. You know, when we uh, launched our first big company in the space as a service company, which was Fitmark, and that was over a decade ago, you know, we immediately adopted Salesforce.com as a cloud yeah. solution. Back, back then, uh, people didn't know what the cloud was. I mean, if you, if you brought it up in, in 2006, the term wasn't even widely in use yet. So, um, <laughs> You know, the notion that you wouldn't have a server in a, in, a, in a health club or for a service company, people would come in our offices and go, where's your mail server? And we don't have one of those. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so it was kind of like the days when I was using spreadsheets uh, to do financial analysis and people are going, what the hell is a spreadsheet? You know, right, right. These massive pads of paper and calculators. So, uh, um you know, and you know the other things from a business model perspective, and these 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 things have become increasingly, I think, more evident in their uh, both the opportunity that that is provided by them, and also the the legacy burden that exists for many operators is this uh, the siloed effect of having all these kind of siloed solutions um, that provide certain key functions, but they don't interact very seamlessly around the kind of customer and. When you talk about the four keys right now for business models in the fitness space, one of them is 
omnipresence and how do you do uh, real great personalization and digital service uh, as well as service in the club? Well, if you have a lot of siloed systems, that's, it's very hard to do well. Um, so, you know, in retrospect, I think, you know, clubs uh, back in the 90s and mid to early 90s, I'd also worked with some clubs when I was with Smoothie King and, and uh, working with that organization, growing them. Um, you know, what those technology platforms were similarly to retail today. I mean, you know, the customer has evolved so much and, and the infrastructure and requirements of executing what they need um, are really essential to business being sustainable and um, delivering that omnipresence uh, kind of experience for customers. If you don't have that infrastructure, um, you know, set up properly to do that at scale, it, you know, you're not going to be very effective in meeting the market and what it needs from you, and, and you're not going to be able to execute it well um, at all. So I think that's been a big um, thing over the last decade that I've seen become increasingly uh, um, both an opportunity and problematic for those who can't um, uh, deal with the change. And then you have entrants, like we were talking about in SoulCycle, that weren't burdened by that legacy came in and have a very um, elegant omnipresence approach to the market um, because they were able to start from scratch and they, you know, their, their sustainable economics shows it. They're 53% uh, net on revenue for each studio and they get a premium for the classes that are booked and they uh, attract the best talent who are paid very well. So a lot of things because of that, they're really able to do that's a lot more problematic for operators that, you know, have to deal with the burden of the past. Yeah. And, and so I have a great, so one thing that's kind of struck me recently, I've been having a lot of conversations with gym owners recently. It's just been, you know, when I think of kind of what software used to be, I think of these large kind of bulky systems that tried to do everything right. It wasn't an idea of specialization. It was one system that did everything uh, kind of one provider and I'm having a lot of conversations now because you're seeing that shift in technology in general, kind of more of the API economy, more of, hey, each system is specialized, whether it's email, whether it's, you know, client management, whether it's payments, and you kind of bolt them all together to that point you mentioned. And I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of questions come at us right now from facility owners saying, you know, I'm just looking for something that does everything. And so for me, it's kind of interesting because it seems like that's almost taking a step backwards. Do you feel like... You do facilities need to just be building their own software at this point that's more bespoke to, to their facility? Do, should they be looking at kind of several core tools that bolt together? You know, where do you see this all heading in the fitness space? Yeah, I think, I think it's a great question. And no, I wouldn't be in the business of developing my own software. I think yeah, yeah, be, that's good to hear you uh, say. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be crazy. Um, but, you know, some operators, uh, I was just in the Atlanta area with a very well-known operator um, and up on the East Coast with another one in the last two weeks. And you know, it's a, a great degree of variability with respect to the number of things or systems that some of these people operate with. I mean, some of them can have as many as 10 different, uh, different systems that they're operating. So I think that with any of these companies, and I think that that is a little more of the challenge for the legacy operators, you have to almost start from scratch and say, okay, what kind of user experience are we trying to create? What are the most important things? And I obviously know you know, mobile first, you know, is very important. Um, you know, how your website is appearing and search for mobile, those kind of things, very, very important. Um, and there are other things, you know, how are you handling billing? 
How are you providing an opportunity for people? So you really have to start with the user experience from the beginning and, and oftentimes throw out a lot of stuff that you don't really, doesn't really serve that purpose. Right. And then focus on, a, you know, a couple of, I mean, having a few disparate systems isn't a problem as long as they're uh, integrated properly and manageable. Um, but oftentimes that means undoing or not doing things and starting to do other things. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's, that's the challenge. You know, what is that? And that really starts by answering the question, how are you going to be competitive? I mean, what, what is your, what is your uh, special kind of competitive position and how are you going to offer services uh, in a way that's very focused on the user uh, to create convenience and around the opportunities that you know of, you know, personalization, engagement, and, and service definition. And really understanding that and then building your infrastructure of, of information systems around that. I think a lot of people start with, oh, this, what do we do about wearables? Well, you know, talking, you probably talked to a lot of folks about the same topic. <laughs> yeah. When, I, I, say that. Go ahead. You know, I was going to say, it's just what we were talking about before we started recording, it's just, people say, yeah, what do I do about wearables? Then they look for software and they don't think about how that's the ripple effect of how it affects, you know, to the, to the, you know, I'm saying you've coined this term, but the new user experience in the facility, but you know, the user experience, the revenue model, the, you know, how much time you're putting in your cl client management services. I mean, it's, it's all tied together and they're not looking at it that way. They're looking with a very narrow lens. Yeah, yeah. So you guys were both talking about this when I when I jumped on earlier too. I want to dive a little bit deeper into the user experience of within the within the gym that concept because it was really the first time I had heard that expression when you guys were talking before we started. Um, Brian, can you talk about a little like a little more that goes into it? I, you you touched on omnipresence. I want to hear more of how you look at the user experience in the gym and what that means and the way people should think about it. Yeah. So, and this is where innovation comes in because really um, there are tools, um, you know, that you can use. Uh, there, there are customer expectations that you're trying to meet. Um, and, you know, there's figuring out how to do that in a way that, that makes sense, you know, from a sustainable standpoint. You know, you know what some of these things are. I mean, I think anybody here would, would kind of know them offhand. I mean, first is, uh, is, is this thing, um, which... You know, we know the facts behind what these things are doing. Um, so, you know, um, uh, convenience around mobile is a big, big thing. I think there's no doubt that convenience around mobile um, is, is huge. I think uh, creating ex exceptional user experience means um, delivering what people want in a way that's very easy for them. Um, and that can represent itself in many ways. I mean, I don't, um, don't want to keep harping on SoulCycle because there are other ones, but SoulCycle does some basic things very, very well. So if you're a Cycle fan and you're a fan of uh, Max Class, uh, you know it's very easy on their app for me to follow Matt, uh, Mac to get his soundtrack, his streaming soundtrack on that app, to know all the classes he's going to be teaching, and for me to book a spot in any of them whenever I like, and also to buy the apparel right off the of Mac back on my smartphone in about three or four steps. So that's the level of user experience, just very easy to use. Now, what that represents in the marketplace, um, I would say this, the greatest products and services in the fitness marketplace um, around phenomenal user experience have not been invented yet. 
um, they're going to be. Because out there, there are entrepreneurs like you guys and other people uh, all over the world that uh, are just waiting for their ideas to be unleashed through uh, new models of innovation and technology. So it's really then becomes about imagination and, 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 and creating those things that meet the market. And, and they'll catch, these things will catch fire. It's, uh, you know, when you look at the, the, the fascination that exists today with things like Alexa and, and the notion that when I was in Europe two years ago lecturing at Europe Active, when people asked me, what is the next emerging trend in fitness? And I said, it's going to be cognition. And they're like, cognition? I said, yeah, like AI. And, and people laughed at me. Uh, well, guess what? Uh, Alexa has over 3,500 apps now built in, and there are a number of fitness and meditation apps built into Alexa with voice recognition. So when you think about user experience, you think about what does that mean now? Well, you've got to almost use your imagination because these things haven't been invented yet. I mean, the notion that I can sit in my kitchen and tell Alexa to order my dog treats and she does it and I get them in two days for my PETA, the, the, the husky we have, that's unbelievable when you think about it. You know, but that's now the new era of user experience. So, um, it's, it's, it's what a fascinating time. And, and to the point of user experience, we're just beginning. I mean, we are just beginning. So when people think about the fitness industry or any industry for that matter, it's important to understand the roots of the past, but it's also important that you're not mired down in um, legacy beliefs that really are going to be completely unedited by new ways of doing things. So would you say the underlying theme here is kind of we're blurring the boundaries of what's happening in the facility versus outside the facility? Is it all kind of one experience, ongoing experience? Okay. Yeah, no doubt. And listen, there are going to be many, many, as you know, you guys both know, many, many business models. I mean, uh, there's still over 300 drive-in movie theaters in the United States that are obviously sustainable. They're meeting a niche. So it's not like everyone has to be uh, Amazon, you know, and, and right, right. find yeah, uh, and some markets are going to be more advanced than others, some more urban settings with different kind of customer bases. So it's not like uh, you've got to be, uh, you know, the cutting-edge technology firm uh, or die, but then uh, you want to be relevant in a competitive market, you better understand those things we're talking about with respect to user experience, your ability to execute around that, and what is your point of differentiation? Um, you better know what that is because just opening the doors and they'll come to a lot of equipment and, uh, uh, you know, a few trainers. I don't think that's enough anymore for most markets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. And you touched on something interesting. I think, you know, we look at recent innovations that are more business model innovations in the fitness space have been interesting too. And I wonder if I'd uh, love to, to get your input on whether you think we'll see more and more of this as technology plugs into the fitness model better. But like you think about CrossFit really just being a business model innovation and not really, you know, technology driven so much, no, nothing like that. Now that technology is starting to enable more touch points with clients, with members outside of the gym, do you see kind of a next set of innovations coming out that'll have the same impact that like a CrossFit model did? Yeah, I think you're going to see a tremendous amount of innovation in many different ways. Right now, the facility marketplace, I think there are eight distinct models. Um, and some of those, you know, like I, I said before, um, you can't just open a facility with equipment and they'll come. Well, that's not really true from the sense that you have the low-priced competitors. Now, 
you know, Planet Fitness is the largest delivery system of, uh, of uh, bricks and mortar fitness in the world. Um, they're huge and they compete largely on price at this point. Um, and, you know, low price operators have been the majority of growth in the mainstream marketplace in the past uh, five to 10 years globally with boutiques being the other piece. And those are all being driven by economics. Um, but I think that you're going to continue to see a flurry of innovation around a bunch of different economic considerations. One being, of course, tech um, and tech driving that through pure digital plays like Peloton, um, pure digital plays like ClassPass, which is pivoting again around a redistribution booking model. They're going to actually start uh, distributing content uh, so that you can use their their technology solution for other things. You see these fitness solutions around communities like Spartan Racing, Tough Mudder, where you have these uh, these uh, communities um, uh, and monetizing themselves, not just around racing, but around programming in a lot of di different ways. I think you're also going to see models around uh, uh, lifestyle brands. So mm -hmm. you know, what Under Armour's doing, uh, what Nike's doing, you know, they're, they're, they're flirting around uh, users. So, uh, um, you know, these, these, many of these brands have launched their own bricks and mortar clubs. Uh, of course, their ability to monetize users is much, much higher than uh, uh, a fitness brand generally because they sell apparel. So um, I think there's going to be a plethora of economic models uh, that emerge um, that'll, that'll encompass all kinds of different variables in, in making themselves sustainable. Yeah. So so follow-up question to you then is what, what do you see being the role of the professional? You know, what's the role of the trainer? Is there, is there a role for them or is technology and AI going to replace them? Because we, we see this from a really interesting lens or we've looked at the data in our system and we see, you know, that it's, it's kind of a runaway victory that those working with an actual human generally are much more engaged in health tracking. They stick around, they have much better outcomes, even though a lot of these consumer systems are starting to incorporate kind of loose AI in different ways. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think like with anything, it's going to be a function of models. I think that human, human beings are the greatest app there is. So I think that to the extent you can leverage humans uh, to uh, uh, unleash their expertise and empathy uh, on on people that need it, I think that's great. Um, I also think though that there uh, that um, that things like uh, you know DARPA's um, uh, uh, therapist. So there is an AI therapist that is being used for post traumatic stress disorder, and that AI has a forty seven percent higher success rate in therapy and outcomes over human counterparts. Hmm. Um, I think there are certain aspects of um, of AI that will actually be to many people more empathetic. Mm -hmm. So when you're dealing with people that are chronically obese, um, like with post-traumatic stress disorder uh, patients, they're, they're reticent to be as open to humans because of fear of being judged. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are going to be some intricate, interesting things that I can't pretend to know the outcomes of. <laughs> I think some things will be unanticipated. Um, and I think just like the economic things that you were bringing up, Phil, I think that there'll be a cadre of different approaches. You know, yeah. I could see a low cost provider like a planet integrating an AI uh, coaching solution that's very low human oriented because it suits their model, kind of like Alexa. I could see some uh, facilities delivering a highly personal human centric uh, focus that is powered by 
back of the house uh, insights uh, with tools so that instead of managing 50 clients, they could manage 150 mm -hmm. at a 30% higher level. So I think different models will apply the tech in different ways to suit the user experience they're trying to create. Yep. So it's not going to be one solution is going to solve everything. I don't, I don't think so. I, I think it's to your point of earlier, Mac, I think that, you know, it's, it's how do you integrate all this stuff in a way that makes sense, right? That's the right. hard part. Yeah. yeah. And even with all that, there will be the integrations that suit the higher end audience and the audience mm -hmm. that's just coming in to get in their quick workout. Um, right. So the evolution of the planet fitness versus the evolution of the orange theory or fill in the blank. Um, okay. It'll be really interesting to see how those two directions veer. Um, yeah. where they go from here. We even think about smartphone adoption, what we've seen over the past decade, where, you know, even this day and age, we don't all have the same cell phone. You know, it's right. been, a, you know, significant consolidation in the market, but you still, you know, I'm sitting here with a pixel in my pocket. I think both of y'all are iPhone users. So even though we've kind of narrowed it down a little bit, you know, we don't see as many Blackberries around as we did, which to be fair, I'm still a little gutted by that because I love the Blackberry back. <laughs> I, I, I keep hoping they're, they're just well, lulling us into a false sense of security. I'm waiting for innovation to come out. Um, <laughs> the, but, you know, I, I think it's, yeah, to your point, I think it's maybe there'll be some consolidation. We'll see kind of several or a handful of different models that make sense. But, yeah, so I guess taking this a little bit further, you know, how do you see monetization tying in? Is it going to be through, you know, you know to your point, the, the more discounted um, – you know, facilities, you know, is, is going to be more of just a extra $4 a month, you get this AI coach versus some kind of more intricate uh, white glove concierge type service at one of the more high end facilities that's built around kind of digital coaching. How do you see this kind of coming together? Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, similar. There's going to be a plethora of different options depending on what you're trying to accomplish. So <clears throat> the great thing is with micropayment, um, with these different payment platforms, payment is going to become far more um, uh, ubiquitous in how you want to conduct commerce. So that's great from a consumer perspective and from an operator perspective. So I think some operators, they'll try to sell the notion of a tiered pricing with $4 more a month, you will get X. I think some people, it will be a on demand, you know, you want this, you pay for it now. I think there'll be other utilization models. I mean, you've seen some of these where You'll pay a certain amount uh, that will go down per utilization until a, a certain point to incent people to increase frequency. Yeah, you know, I think I think it, you know I think there'll be many different ways. I think the key variables are going to be for each of these business models: what kind of lifetime value you're trying to drive in the way of retention and really meeting need, and how how can you optimize uh, the utilization of the service mm -hmm. um, for the user to make it make the most sustainable economic sense. But I think it'll be a plethora of different options. Um, I think it's going to be, in the end, it's going to be all about choice. Mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be so many alternatives, and some of those will be more of the mainstream than others uh, because they'll suit a, a larger share of the population. But I think we're going to see a plethora of things. And back to your point of monetization, which is really sustaining uh, professionals. You know, you ask what's going to happen to professionals. And I think the training fundamentally is going to go through a renaissance, um, uh, real renaissance and if we can get some uh, realignment of public policy sentiment around uh, around how sick care operates and primary prevention coming more to the forefront uh, you know coaches could have a much greater impact on on health outcomes with these tools and we would have economic incentive for making that happen 
And I think if that were the case, I think uh, the industry would really be helped along. Well, it's, it's interesting, Brian, because we see from our perspective, because we kind of play in the fitness and wellness side, where a lot of our partners that are coming in for Nudge are potentially private medical practices that hire nutritionists or hire trainers or hire health coaches. So I think we're starting to see early signs of convergence between healthcare and fitness. I think it's certainly the early on and it's the private models, it's high end. So I think there's some early signs, but so you think that we're going to keep seeing those trends over the next few years as, you know, can we align all the right dots? I think it, I think we can, I think we have to, I mean, it's, it's economically unsustainable. I think the question is uh, how prepared our industry space is going to be to have answers to those challenges that are ready for the time when it comes, because uh, we're not going to be alone. I mean, we are going to face competition from the AMA. We're going to face competition from pharma. We're going to face competition from the sick care system. Uh, as primary prevention becomes more of a mainstay, um, uh, those are dollars that are going to have to be foregone yep. to pay for people being sick. So I think it's very important that, you know, we be prepared and that innovators are out there trying to demonstrate uh, how these tools can work in an economic way that is sustainable so that as those private pays come on, there is a solution. As public health starts to shift, there is a solution. We can adopt it. Mm-hmm. So you talk about big pharma and the AMA, I mean, kind of famous lobbying groups associated with all of these things. Who's doing the fitness lobbying then? And, and how can we help spur that along as an industry? Sure. Yeah. Well, the fit act and the whip act are big right now. And Earth is behind that. Um, the industry, uh, um, you know, I'm part of the ILC, which is the, the leadership group of, of Earth and anyone can join. You should contact Meredith Poplar there to, uh, to join and get a, become a part of it. And, look for my posts, uh, you know, on LinkedIn or via Twitter on that legislation, because we now have over a hundred authors supporting some of this legislation, which basically creates tax incentives for people to, you know, to have their uh, primary prevention expenses be tax deductible and part of their medical expenses that if employers give you a healthcare uh, health club membership uh, that you can actually not be taxed on that. Uh, those are examples of public policy that uh, can help uh, incent people financially to, to, to take part in these activities. Um, and there are other groups, you know, ACE, you know, uh, is very active uh, lobbying efforts uh, along with others. Europe Active is in Europe working on these kind of uh, initiatives in Europe as well as Fitness Australia and other groups. So, uh, they're out there, but when you compare the amount of budget that these people work with, and yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to compete. <laughs> but you know, when when uh, AMA and nothing against uh, medical doctors or anything personal, but when the AMA announced that uh, they're classifying obesity as a disease, that that wasn't done for posterity's sake. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, well, another thing that I know you've gotten involved in or more involved in lately is something called FITC, Fitness Industry Technology Council. Can you talk a little bit about the work you're doing over there? Yeah, yeah. So we have a lot of great uh, companies like you all's uh, and others that are part of it. And it's a collaborative group that's uh, really meant to try to work together to increase the effective adoption of technology tools to create a better user experience and reach a larger market. Um, we, we, uh, we have a great and active board and great people like you all involved that uh, are really at the cutting edge of creating the future that is here and to making it workable. 
Um, and because there are a lot of people out there that are confused and rightly so by what do I do? Where do we go mm -hmm. as a business? There's so many things to think about. And, you know, by being a resource for them through our group uh, and with members like you involved, uh, paving a way, uh, sharing information, being available to people to talk about uh, what to think about so they make the right decisions. The more success we experience with professionals uh, and operators doing this, the larger uh, reach we're going to have and the faster we'll be able to, in theory, implement these things in new ways and innovate to the market. Well, you kind of dovetailed nicely into my next question, which was just simply if you are a facility owner listening to this and you're kind of maybe, I don't want to say behind on technology, but maybe reevaluating your strategy, you know, where, where do you go? Where do you turn? Is it, is it fit C? Is it, you know, where have people been going before now? I mean, that's, I know people have a lot of questions about, you know, what, where do you go? Where, what's the right resource? Yeah, well, Fitzy provides those resources. Ursa's providing those resources. In fact, Ursa's even creating a new group on innovation uh, with a strong technology bent that is uh, coming together to emphasize how they can be even more helpful in that regard. Um, so, of course, we're there. They'll be there. Um, I think um, reaching out to professionals that are thought leaders uh, on that topic is very helpful. You know, our podcast, you all are doing a great podcast Fitness Industry Technology Council has a podcast. You were talking to me, Mac, before the start of this, how we use podcasts while we're running and working out now. It's a, a way to learn. Um, and, you know, the good news is there's never been a better time to be in this industry space, given all the resources that are there and uh, the depth of information and the ability to do things. I mean, when you think about cloud computing, the apps like the ones that you're developing, I mean, the cost of doing this stuff is so dramatically less expensive uh, and the potential is so great um, that it's, a, it's an awesome time to be thinking about this because I think a lot of organizations and professionals can really make a big difference looking to embrace these tools. That's awesome. Yeah, that was a great, I, I think, Phil, when you put together your, your notes on the podcast, there was a good quote in there. <laughs> Thanks for calling that out. That always helps for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Brian, this has been awesome. I feel like I'm wiser for having been here. I think, you know, we learned a lot about ways that the people out there can really engage in some of this new information, these great resources that are out there that um, the groups you're involved with and people like you are, are putting out there. So thanks for all the work you're putting in. Um, you're doing a lot to move the industry forward and we definitely appreciate it. We appreciate what you're doing and appreciate your involvement in Fitzy and the opportunity to share uh, this thinking together on this time between Christmas and, uh, and New Year's and a wonderful 2017 to you guys and the audience, Mac and Phil, and uh, keep doing good things with Nudge and, uh, you know, we're behind you. So good luck. Right. Appreciate that. Thanks so much and happy New Year to you guys as well. And for everybody out there, for your New Year's resolution, I suggest that you rate and review the Scale Well podcast or at the very least subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, wherever you can find it. And thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll catch you again next time.